Welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast, a podcast featuring interviews with equestrian authors who love all things horses and writing about them. In each episode, you'll hear inspirational stories from horse book authors, including writing advice and marketing tips to help you write your very own horse book. If you're an author, aspire to be an author, or simply love horse books, then you are in the right place. I'm your host, Carly Cade, and creative writing makes my spurs jingle. Hi everyone, welcome to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Show. I'm Carly Cade, and today I am so excited to have my friend and fellow American Horse Publications member, Hope Ellis Ashburn, on the show. Hi, Hope. Hey, Carly. Yay, I'm so excited to have you here today. So I'm going to uh, just hop in and read your bio really quickly to give some background, and then we'll get into the fun stuff, which are the interviews. That's great. Hope Ellis Ashburn holds a Master of Science degree in Agricultural Education from the University of Tennessee, Knoxville, and a Bachelor of Science degree in Horse Science from Middle Tennessee State University. Hope possesses a teaching credential in Agricultural Education, while attending MTSU, she was a member of the horse judging and equestrian teams. She is also a former award-winning extension agent with UTK. Hope began her freelance writing career in 2015. She has produced work for Equus, American Quarter Horse Journal, Arabian Horse Life, Sidelines, U.S. Equestrian, and Hoofbeat Magazines, and the Horse.com blog. She is the author of two books, the story of Kimbrook Arabians and her newest release, Always Hope, how dairy cows and Arabian horses inspired grit in a young girl's life, which spent several days at the top of Amazon's hot new release chart in equestrian sports. She has been a horse owner for over 30 years and has ridden and competed in a variety of disciplines, including Western, English, halter, dressage, hunter, and jumper. She currently owns a half Arabian mare, Sally, and a donkey, Harmony. She and her husband, daughter, and an assortment of pets live on her husband's family farm where they raise black Angus cattle. Their farm has been in continuous operation by the same family for nearly 200 years. They make their home in a remodeled 1927 farmhouse that once belonged to her husband's grandparents. Wow, Hope, that is such a cool bio. I mean, you are you are in it. You are like the classic live in the land, work in the animals. <laughs> lady which is so cool and a very accomplished writer i can't wait to uh dive into the interview and ask you some questions about freelance writing uh you know i think a lot of authors uh actually have some experience and a lot of authors i met do actually do freelance writing on the side so i wanted to ask you a little bit about how did you get into your freelance writing career in the horse world like how did all that start i mean you obviously have the educational background um but but what where to come from how'd you get interested how'd you start uh well, in 2015, um, when my first book came out, um, I had um, not been back to the Kimbrook Arabians farm, which is a part of, or was a part of the Milky Way farm in many, many, many years since I had worked there. And my husband took me back uh, there as a Christmas present to an open house that they were having at the mansion there. Ooh. And I had just, um, all the memories came flooding back. And um, when we got home, um, I just, said, I'm going to write a book. It just came to me that this was what I needed to do to kind of document 
um, that particular time there. And so the book kind of predated just by a few short months my freelance writing career. Um, but I wrote the book and, and got it published and was having a lot of fun with it. And um, didn't really have plans to go further or advance with anything. And then um, that spring, I went to a horse show with a friend. And I actually brought my um, my half-Arabian mare, Sally, that we kind of talked about there in the bio. And we had not shown in a while, you know, life just gets busy, and we weren't ready for the show. But you know, what the heck, we'll go to the show, and it's just a small, fun show, we'll have a great time. And um, at the end of the show, she, um, near it was our last class and uh, we were having an okay day all things considered lack of preparation and all those things but we were having an okay day and uh, she decided that um, in the class last class I am done I, I finished here and I'm ready to go home <laughs> and so she was um, kind of being a little diva there um, in the show ring and um, we survived and, and everything went okay but when I got home um, I thought this would make a great story for Equus because I always enjoy reading those um, true tale stories and the EQ back page stories on Equus. And so um, I read up a little article um, not too long after that and sent it in. And a few weeks later, I was um, stunned to get um, an email from the editor. And she said that she, you know, liked the story. She would like to offer me some money. And immediately I was, hold up, you, people actually get paid for this. So, wow. Um, so it was sort of like a happy accident started. that you, that you yes. got into this. Wow. Yes. So after um, she, we got the story edited and sent some pictures in and um, I, all these story ideas um, started coming to me and uh, so I wrote up some pieces. Equus happens to be a publication that uh, they don't necessarily do pitches all of the time. And um, so they like finished manuscripts sent to them. So I sent them a few manuscripts just to see what they thought. And not very long after that, received some uh, email responses. We'd like your writing style. We'd like to um, publish these. And do you have anything else? And so that's kind of how it started from there. It kind of snowballed from there. And uh, it's just a, a happy thing to, uh, to have occurred at that particular time. Wow, that is so cool. Now, I wanted to ask you too. So have you always enjoyed writing? Because your, your degrees are in like science and agriculture. So, so like where does the journalist, uh, writer, author part of you come from? Well, growing up, I really enjoyed writing short stories just as a kid, and my mom still has them in her attic at home, and, and some of them she's given to me, but um, it really kind of all got started when I worked for the Extension Service, and so um, I wrote news stories and uh, news columns uh, for them, and that's kind of how I started exploring the writing piece a little bit, and then when I left the extension for a while, that just kind of all got set aside. And uh, then it picked back up when I wrote the book and started doing some freelance pieces. Okay, yeah, so, so you've always enjoyed writing and then you've got some experience uh, doing that sort of style of journalism and you know, writing in, in one of your, your career paths. So, so that kind of set the table for, yeah. for feeling confident to pitch a big horse publication like Equus with, with a, a personal story of your experience with your naughty pony, right? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> well, that is really, really cool. So I wanted to explain on that a little bit more and you know and ask that and obviously in your bio you've written for some very prominent uh, horse publications um, horse magazines and then you know so I'm interested in you know what what are your favorite topics to write about do you do you have like a favorite topic or do you kind of um, 
just to have like stories pop up and then and then think about it because you mentioned pitching so do you you know do you have to pitch these stories or do you have working relationships like how, how does all how's that world fit together um, that kind of varies really depending on the publication. Um, some of the uh, publications that I write for do um, like pitching ideas uh, to them. And so others um, prefer finished manuscripts like we talked about with Equus. And then some I actually get assignments on. So it really depends on who I'm working with. And as far as oh, my favorite stories, I love writing the true tales because that um, whether that's for Equus or, you know, another publication. Um, that's just kind of sharing stories about real life with horses. And I kind of think that is um, one of my favorites just because um, I'm not a big barn. I don't work with a trainer. I'm just your average adult amateur. And I like sharing stories, um, you know, with everyday life with my horse. Um, but I also really enjoy the science background in me mm -hmm. comes out when I write about things like I recently had an article published on toxic pasture plants that I'm really proud of with the sequestrian. I've written stories on trailer tires. Um, I've written health pieces, which that kind of comes back into the science piece of it too. So really just the, the whole spectrum. Yeah. And then uh, actually last night, I'm, I, I've signed up to your newsletter for um, Red Horse on a Red Hill. And I saw awesome. a very interesting article that you just I've written about um, women. Can you talk a little bit about, about your most recent article? I, I found that one fascinating. Sure. Um, so I just finished this piece uh, for Arabian Horse Life, and, and um, it's just out, like hot off the presses. And um, it was over 40 and fabulous. And I reached out to um, the whole beginning with the article, the assignment was um, to write about uh, people who were over 40 competing at the top of their sport, and um, specifically with Arabian horses, no matter the discipline. And when I reached out, just a plethora of women responded. And it was really kind of, we didn't have any male respondents at first, and uh, until I was able to um, interview Michael Byatt, which was also really exciting. He's kind of iconic in the breed. But I have these dynamic women uh, that responded. And oh my goodness, it's um, amazing how we all kind of get to the same place in different ways with, uh, with horses and our lives and kids and marriage and all those things. And uh, it was just fantastic to talk to them and inspiring because um, you start to think, okay, over 40, I am still fresh and young and I can do all the things. So it was neat. I love that. That is so great. And I think there should be a bigger spotlight on older equestrians and, and what we're doing because this is a lifelong journey, the love of horses. You know, it's not absolutely, just, you know, it's like sometimes we take a break to go to college or maybe to raise children, but it's always there. It's always in the background running like this love of horses. I think we're born with it, right? Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So, so what was it really interesting to me is you first wrote a book and then started your freelance writing. I mean, that is, um, you know, that is like a big, a big accomplishment. You know, it's like for a lot of people thinking about writing a book is like kind of scary, you know, and like an article might seem a little less daunting. I mean, of course, the research goes in and your writing still has to be stellar, but you wrote the book, the book first. And it sounds like something that you're really passionate about and you're particularly passionate about Arabians. Can you talk about a little bit about your first book? And you, you did mention, um, uh, you know, a Christmas gift tour to the farm. Can you talk a little bit about just like where that all came from for you? 
Sure. Um, so when I was, um, so this kind of gets into a little funny story about my first um, Arabian horse. I'll try not to get teary eyed with, uh, with the story. But um, when I was growing up, I grew up, um, I'm in Tennessee in the Sequatchie Valley of Tennessee. And predominantly we have uh, Tennessee walking and racking horses. And my first horse or first pony rather was um, a spotted saddle horse. She was a racking pony. She was 13 two hands high. <laughs> and um, it was a terrible a decision. She uh, was parrot-mouthed and pigeon-toed, and she was an orphan, and we had to bottle feed her, and if anything was wrong, it was probably applied to her, but uh, <laughs> it was okay. She was naughty, and it was just one of those things, and my parents got her um, as a foal for obviously very cheap. We didn't have a lot of money, and we had braces on her legs and all kinds of things, and so we, that was my 12th birthday present. And I have um, very little idea of where it actually came from. I did have an uncle that married um, an aunt that wrote English. And I think maybe seeing that kind of inspired me a little bit. But I wanted a horse that could um, jump and perform in the hunter-jumper disciplines and maybe do a little bit of dressage. And I had this pony who was a small racking pony with lots of issues. I loved her dearly. And she was amazing. And she taught me all these things. But, um, you know, skill sets, not just about horse care because of her health issues, but just being a leader when you have a pony who is a little bit naughty. And, um, and she gave me so many experiences and it was amazing, but it wasn't the discipline that I wanted to compete in. And so I'm a determined little gal. So um, I decided that um, I needed, no matter what it took or what it was gonna um, have to do for me to get there, that I was going to um, get a horse that could jump. And at this particular point in time, um, I was raised on a dairy farm, as you can tell from the book title, and my dad was really set on me being um, a dairy farmer. And so he was like, I have no idea where, where this child's interest in horses came from, but here it is. And um, so he was really kind of trying to push the dairy, you know, issue. And uh, so I, he didn't want to give me a lot of money for my horses. So I started raising 4-H chickens and selling eggs. And um, so I was self-supporting myself to an um, entrepreneur at heart yes at that. an early age <laughs> and so I was trying to get riding lessons and different tack and then when I was 16 this um, 4-H opportunity came along to um, write an essay and a one-year training schedule and a one-year financial budget and it was um, sponsored not just by 4-H but but also by the Middle Tennessee Arabian Horse Association and at that time um, a lot of the Arabian Horse Associations were promoting programs like go with geldings and that type of thing and so um, they had reached out to a couple of farms to donate Arabian geldings to the contest and so the first year I did not even win because um, I had been selected but they had to have a Middle Tennessee Arab Club member in the area where you live so they could check on the horse and do you know wellness checks because they have farms donating the horses and so on so I tried again the second year and that was when I was 16 and I won my absolute dream horse um, in a contest and that was uh, Kimbrook Arabians that donated him uh, to the contest and that's how my interest in Arabian horses got started and um, once I had one that's that's all I ever really wanted I mean it was it was just amazing Wow. So your writing, even at a young age at 16, earns you a horse of your own that could yeah. jump and do all the things that you wanted to do. And look at that grit right there. <laughs> but selling eggs and doing everything you needed to do to, to earn your horse. So that is like really cool. So this experience is what inspired you to write 
your first book, which is the history. Yes, and so when I graduated from high school, um, Joanne, which was the horse's owner, she and her husband, uh, Bill, actually owned, the Gutnigs actually owns Kimbrook Arabians and, and the horses there. And when I was um, 18 and graduated from high school, I'd actually won Fox on a lease. And so he went, he went back and I was very interested in following him and his career. I couldn't afford to buy him. And um, oh, so anyway, he went back. Heart, heartbreaking. Oh, I was, it was terrible. You know, I got to keep him a little longer than the, than the year just because of how um, scheduling worked out with a horse show to, um, to turn him back in. But we had had this fabulous um, year, year and few months um, together. And he was 11 when I got him and the good Nicks had like 50 horses. And so he was only green broke and I was young and stupid and didn't know that you weren't supposed to jump um, a green horse over five foot fences. I mean, yeah, who knows, right? So, um, you know, we were just doing all kinds of crazy things and I got lucky and um, got by with it because I didn't know any better. Um, but we went to a show and, and I turned it back in and I had become really close with the Gutnicks over that year's time period. We had written letters, many, many letters, um, back and forth. I had gone to visit them and, um, and she still offered, she knew that I really wanted to buy him, but, um, just did not have the resources to do that. And so she was really, really good about letting me come and, and, uh, travel to his shows and visit him and, and all kinds of things. And then when I was 18, she actually gave me his half brother, as a high school graduation present and invited me to come live with them uh, and work on their farm. And so I did that full time the summer between high school and college and then came out on some weekends during college and just really kind of got to know their breeding program and their operation and got to know them even better. And they became like family to me. Wow. And, and what a, a great learning experience, right? Going oh, and, and living and working and being around the horses on like an actual breeding operation. So yes. obviously the Arabian horse is embedded into your, your life and your love. And so that kind of leads me to ask you about, tell us about your, your current pony. And I'm a little curious about this donkey named Harmony too. Can you <laughs> talk a little bit about that? <laughs> so, um, I've had Sally for over a decade now and uh, she's a half Arabian mare and we just, um, we do everything. I, um, I have jumps um, set up here in, a, in an arena here at home and, and uh, we jump and we get out occasionally to show. My schedule doesn't allow me to do that as often as I would like, but uh, we trail ride, we work our cattle here on the farm, we gather them up. Uh, it's just really whatever I ask her to do, she is willing, um, just a willing partner, and I love her. Um, I didn't think after I lost Fox, I uh, was looking for a horse um, when I lost him. He was 36, and uh, we were, um, you know, he'd been a part of my life. Even she eventually, Joanne, we did kind of talk about that earlier, but Joanne actually did end up um, giving him to me um, later on. And so um, he'd been a which is detailed in the book, Always Hope, which is a famous story, <laughs> which, we'll, we'll, which we'll talk about a that's little right, bit That's more. right. Just a little, little plug there. Yeah, so, a little plug um, there. <laughs> but yeah, so um, she gave him to me later on, and he had been a part of my life for, you know, over 25 years. And, and it, was, it was just a tremendous um, experience, and, and I, I don't ever expect to repeat it, but it was amazing, the memories, the experience, just the the lifetime of love and the connection that I had with that horse. And I, I never, when I lost him, uh, even though I'd gotten her at that point, she was kind of my transition horse because um, at that point he was quite advanced um, in age. And so I was getting something to, um, you know, replace him so he could enjoy his retirement years, although he still um, 
enjoy being ridden. I mean, just a few months before he passed, I was uh, uh, still hopping on a bareback and doing some light, fun stuff. But uh, but I, is impressive too. I yeah, mean, he was. Yeah, genetics and good care. <laughs> yeah, I mean that's, well, a, that's incredible. Way. Thirty-six for a horse. I you know. Yeah, that's pretty, that's advanced. Absolutely. Yeah. So he was he was amazing and so i get her and um i just didn't expect to um develop that connection with an animal again like i had with him um i knew it was quite extraordinary but she has uh definitely worked her way into my heart and uh, so and i just uh, that's one of the things you know that i love most about arabians and, and her in particular is that um, no matter what I ask her to do, she is game. We're going to go out and bring the cows up today, or we're going to jump some fences, or we're going to trail ride. Uh, I even have a side saddle that I plunk on her every now and then, and so just whatever I want to do. Um, she she goes out and she does that and um, with a happy attitude, and, and uh, she's my partner, and so that's amazing. And she has a, a pet donkey named Harmony, and it's definitely her pet. It's not mine. <laughs> it's her little awesome. mini knee. And, uh, <laughs> She has uh, uh, definitely been a learning experience for me. She was, we kind of got her from a, a not so wonderful experience. And I always tell um, everybody when we found her on a local sales network online, um, she was not halter broken. She'd never been on a trailer. And uh, we went to see her and, and uh, she was in this little, uh, little small muddy pen and, and had some hay and a, and a tire and a little low um, run-in shed and the owner goes in and catches her first. And it, it wasn't abuse or neglect or anything. I mean, her health was okay. It just wasn't, you know, up to, you know, great standards of horse care, so to speak. And so, um, but the owner goes in and catches her and I'd already decided at that point, um, you're, she's coming home with me. She's, she's out of here. <laughs> so, uh, it didn't matter what was wrong, um, if she had poor confirmation or anything like that, this, this donkey is coming. And so we, um, get the lead rope on her and, uh, I'm thinking, I have no idea how we're getting her on this trailer and getting her out of here, but, uh, we'll, we'll see what happens. So got a butt rope and, and my husband opened the door and it was like, she realized, I don't care where you're going. I'm going with you. And she hops on the trailer like she had been loaded on one her entire life. Oh, wow. So she yeah. wanted to come home with you. And yeah. So her, why a donkey? You, you wanted to get a companion for Sally. Is that right? Yes. And, okay. and she was a single horse and, and, um, she, I had one of my funny little terms for that. I had written a story about, um, solo horse keeping for Equus at one point and, uh, it was called suddenly single. And so oh, that's, uh, <laughs> that's kind of with Sally. She was single. Fox had passed away and, and Sally was content. She's not really one to, um, you know, just go out and, and, uh, want a companion, you know, horse like that right away. But I just felt like horses are herd animals and she really, you know, she needed something and I didn't want to commit to getting another horse because my riding time is limited as mm -hmm. it is. And, um, I kind of tossed around a, a number of ideas and tried keeping her solo with some entertainment, like, um, a ball to play with and things like that for a while. And wasn't really satisfied with that and, uh, considered goats and chickens and, I uh, wasn't really satisfied with that either and finally hit upon, you know, a donkey would be kind of cool and kind of fun um, to do. So we got Harmony and we got her home and uh, I've been using clicker training um, and working with her and she's halter broken now and we're starting to do all kinds of, of fun things with her. But she's definitely, definitely Sally's uh, mini me and, and uh, follows her around and takes care of business um, here at the farm with her. So 
yeah, she's a, a little treat, kind of a funny little thing to have around. That's wonderful. And we're definitely going to have to get a picture of uh, Harmony and Sally for your show notes so people can see. I will definitely send that. Yeah, I actually so took some pictures and it hasn't published yet. And um, but there's it's, there's a story uh, coming out in a future issue of Equus about the two of them. It's going to be a, a back page story oh, and the I two of them that. and their relationship. And I'll definitely have to send you a link to that. Um, oh, please when it do. Comes out. That I love reading pictures articles. that I took and I will definitely send it to you. Okay, good. Yes, we definitely need to include Harmony in your show notes so people can see <laughs> your, your, your pony and with the love of her life, Sally. Uh, so, so that's really cool. Like you actually, you mentioned clicker training, and this is sort of a, a tangent for me to ask you another question that I have. Um, we're both members of the American Horse Publications Conference, mm -hmm. and and every year they have an annual, or I'm sorry, we're both members of the American Horse Publications Organization, and every year they have this annual conference. And one of the coolest things um, about the, con which is where Hope and I first met, actually, and started our relationship. But the coolest thing about this conference is they have um, excursions, like the day before the con converse, conference kicks off, and you can. And it, they're always based on the, you know, the local equestrian scene and what's going on there. And and you learn so many really neat things. I think when it was here in Scottsdale, there was a mounted shooting. Yes, I did that. That was yes. so fun. Yes, and um, I've seen the pictures from that. And then uh, when we went to Maryland, there was, um, you know, the the um, the hut cup. The, hunt the Maryland we, Hunt Cup course, yes. Yes, so we went to see the Maryland Hunt Cup course, and we learned about, you know, steeplechasing and all, all of that exciting stuff, and we did farm tours. And then uh, just this year, it was in uh, Santa Fe, New Mexico, and we went and we toured um, this big equestrian facility, but they had a, a professional horse trainer that was doing clicker training, which inspired all of us to really explore clicker, clicker training with our, our animals. And you just mentioned that you were doing that with Harmony, which is exciting. So I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the American Horse Publications and your membership sure. membership there, um, you know, which brings people together and, and creates these beautiful friendships like we have. Um, but you know, how has being a member of the AHP, is what we call it for short, helped you with your freelancing work? And then how did you first discover it and, and you know, become a member? Like, how did you learn about the organization? Sure. Um, well, the way that I first discovered the organization was um, some of the um, publications that I write for had been award winners. And um, I started poking around and doing a little bit of research and found out that they also had an individual member category. So when I started writing, I thought that I'm a pretty competitive, you know, person and I, I like to um, do awards programs and things like that. So I thought it would be something that I would enjoy, you know, doing. And so um, that kind of inspired me to join them. And uh, I did the half year membership first uh, and the conference that year was already over and then um, came to my first conference in 2017. And that was the year, uh, I think in Arizona with the Cowboy Mounted Shooting. Oh, that, that was, was your my first year too? That was yes. my first year. Oh, yes. wow. So we've yes. been in our first years. Yes. So that was, that was amazing. And I loved it. And um, that was kind of what got me interested, you know, in joining was because it was there um, that I first started writing for some other publications outside of Equus because I was able to meet in one central location all of the editors. And email is a great thing and all. And I have um, certainly pitched to publications and gotten writing assignments just by 
email and I've never met the editor in person. But the vast majority have come from connections that I have made at the conference. And so I have met so, so many people and um, it's just um, been an amazing experience for me from that aspect. I've certainly gained several clients um, just from talking about ideas, uh, you know, over dinner at the conference or attending some sessions um, with one of the editors at a conference or, or speed networking. And that's kind of like speed dating. And um, I don't know if you've ever taken part in that before, but uh, it's kind of kind of neat. Just a one on one sit down, pitch some ideas, talk about some things back and forth in kind of a time setting. But the professional development is amazing too. Um, I enjoy all the learning uh, that goes on and I always come back with things that I can implement, whether it's just refining how to pitch an idea uh, to an editor, you know, more successfully that makes you more likely to get an assignment or so mm -hmm. on. And, um, but, you know, I think most important are just the, the friendships that I've made too, even outside. I mean, um, there's you and, and um, our group of lady friends that um, have become really close um, just mm -hmm. as a result of that. And I feel like I can pick up the phone or shoot an email or a text and get some advice right away on something, you know, that I might need in terms of marketing or um, just how did you handle the situation or that type of thing. So I, I have nothing but good things to say. Absolutely. And I feel exactly the same way. And, 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 and the takeaway are these amazing friendships that, that have budded since, you know, meeting people at the conference and all the opportunities. So, so it's a, so the American Horse Publications is a uh, organization for equine media. So there's um, magazines, uh, video production, authors are there, uh, bloggers are there, uh, anyone that touches, I don't know, how do you want to say it? Like writing and, yes. uh, or even, marketing even as well yes and, and there's big brands that come like Bane and tail um products they do like a huge um you know lunch sponsorship every year and you can learn about new events that are coming just pretty much you know anybody that touches the equine industry has has like a, a presence there which is which is a really cool way to meet people connect with people and um build relationships uh, absolutely particularly for freelance writers it's a it's a great a great space to be in so speaking of the american horse publications conference i wanted to talk about your newest book always hope because i remember it was our second year being at the conference together and we were at a networking dinner and we were sitting down at the table and i remember when this book was just kind of like an idea you were shooting out there can you can you can you talk about where the idea came from, and it's been so fun watching your journey as this book came to fruition. Um, talk to us a little bit about what inspired Always Hope and, and the journey since that conversation of the American Horse Publications, like what's happened? So it kind of started out with, um, and again, it was one of those things without um, a formal destination in mind. I had jotted down um, stories and thoughts from growing up on a farm for, oh gosh, many years. and. Then um, at the conference that year, um, I was sharing some of those stories with friends. So we, and you were one of those friends and you abs absolutely helped me come up with one, the title for my book because we kind of brainstormed the titles there um, over dinner and I was talking with um, some other friends and they were just um, amazed. I guess if you didn't grow up on the farm, um, some of the stories I shared are really like, wow, that actually happened. So no, um, this is a fascinating book. Like if, if you want to <laughs> I mean, I, I'm reading this book and I'm like, whoa, Hope is so cool. Like she knows how to like 
fix a tractor and castrate a, a cow. I'm like, wow, <laughs> <laughs> that's amazing. Yeah, I just, you know, and everybody was, and it was, and they're funny, you know, looking back, I mean, at the time you're living it and it's, it's not really, um, it's not really that funny at the time, but, um, you know, it was great to kind of share some of these experiences over dinner and just kind of talk about titles and that type of thing. So when I came home, um, I think you were writing, um, at that time as well, you were, um, into another book and, um, our friend Heather, um, was into a book and and you guys actually um got um yours finished ahead of mine and that was a great kick in the pants for me to finish because i was like i have got to do this they have totally done this and we were talking about it over dinner and i need to finish this because i think this could be a really cool thing so um i started putting everything together and i actually relied um for editing as i wrote the book um and i was getting pretty far into it i reached out to um an editor from a magazine that um, I write with, and uh, she picked it up. Lori Bonner um, used to work at Equus, and and um, she was taking on some freelance projects, and so um, she agreed that when I got finished, she would take a look at the manuscript and do any editing and suggestions and things like that for me. And so I was really fortunate that the timing kind of hit just right for her to pick up a project like that. My daughter actually found uh, my graphic designer for my cover, and it was that was a really um, kind of funny story. So I put an ad on Fiverr, and, and uh, was just really scratching my head of, oh my goodness, where am I gonna gonna find somebody that you know is really good and can kind of get what I want, the idea that I have in my mind for the the cover of the book. And she's out to dinner with some family friends, and. Um, one of the family members happens to be talking about her um, career in graphic design. And so I get a text um, that she now knows a graphic designer. And um, so I said, well, you must get her telephone number. You, you must get it. And um, this was, her name was Jordan Thomas. And uh, so when Maddie got home and, and uh, I got the, secured the telephone number and it uh, wasn't but a day or so after that, that I reached out to her and said, hey, I have this idea, would you be interested in doing that? And she came to my house and we poured over book cover ideas and what message I was trying to convey and get out of my book. And she ended up just um, doing this amazing um, job. She formatted my book for me, helped me choose pictures uh, for it out of a collection um, that I had and just did a fantastic job with the cover that kind of conveys the story that I'm trying to tell. That's fantastic. And do you have your cover there? Uh, do you have your book there with you that you can hold up and show us? For those of you not watching on YouTube, Hope is going to hold up the cover to her book. And then I'll, of course, include that in the show notes too, so you can see the beautiful cover that she had designed. And I, what I think is so amazing is like, as you're telling this story, it's like the universe kept opening up these opportunities for you as you were yes. following this path, like the conversation at AHP, and then the relationships that you had built from being a member of the organization. You, one of the relationships you had became your editor, and then your daughter was out to dinner and she found your graphic designer. It's like, I believe if you, you know, if you're following your path and you're living your dreams and you're look and you're looking and you're paying attention that the universe or, you know, a higher energy or a higher power or whatever provides you with what you need if you're just open and, and ready for it. And it seems like that's been exactly what's been going on for you with, with your book, Always Hope, which we're going to look at right now. 
Yeah, I was um, I was kind of said I pulled out this picture on the, the cover. This is me and my first pony Munchkin. And uh, when I was 12, and, and like I mentioned, I got her for a birthday present. And, um, you know, up until that point, I'd been riding everybody else's horse that I could get my hands on. But she was she was mine. And um, I was a little bit older in this picture. But um, anyway, not too long. Um, and then on the back is me and Clarabelle. And she was my um, dairy cow that I showed, and I showed all of her calves as well. And so, um, anyway, you can read all about them in the book too. But it just has a really nice feel, um, kind of conveys that agricultural background that's so important to me. Yeah, and and I wanted to ask you this too. The your, the subtitle of Always Hope is was so intriguing to me. It, it says how dairy cows and Arabian horses inspired grit in a young world in a young girl's life. So. I totally love the word grit. And uh, can you talk to us a little bit about your definition of grit and, and how your childhood inspired you to have that grit? I mean, we've heard about your experience with the Arabian horses, but let's hear a little bit about more about you growing up on the, on the farm and working with the dairy cows and like where you got your grit. Sure. Um, well, when we were kind of pitching around this idea of, of doing that um, podcast interview, I thought that would be kind of a really good idea just to kind of you know, look up the, the Webster's Dictionary definition of grit, and and um, because you hear it a lot, but what does it really mean? Mm -hmm. And so, um, loyal, courageous, you know, those are just some of the, the terms that I kind of pulled out of the definition there. But um, when I was a kid, it was just, we did not have a lot of money. I mean, we were we were poor. I mean, there's no other way to, to say it. And we, we had 125 dairy cows, and um, that we had to be milked twice a day, and we had 332 acres, and we row cropped, and um, we raised our own uh, feed for the cattle, and it was it was a lot. And uh, obviously, we didn't have money to hire help until later on, and so that help came from uh, my brother and I at a very early age. And in fact, one of the stories that I shared that kind of stuns everybody that reads it is uh, my dad did not think anything. Um, about putting me on a tractor. I was three, almost four years old, and I'm driving the tractor um, by myself, you know, in a field for the first time. And of course, he's there, and he's standing by, and the tractor is very going very slow. We called it Granny Gear. And, uh, and I said, you know, I can't reach the pedals. I can't, I'm not strong enough to do the controls, but I can hold the wheel straight, and I can go down to the end of the row, and he can be doing things in the field and he can turn me around and, and I can come back and, you know, we're disking and, and that type of thing. And so dad just did not think anything of this. They tied, his parents tied him on a tractor with a towel when he was two to accomplish <laughs> the same thing. So this was no big deal. I was old enough to be doing these things um, at this point. And I think that's kind of a, you know, a shocking story, um, you know, today, because um, unless you've had that experience, because a lot of people would think that was just a terrible thing to do, but it was just, it was life. It was just something that we had to do to, um, to survive. And that's one of those things now that I can look back and I'm like, oh my gosh, and laugh about it. But, uh, you know, at the time it was just, it was just something that had to be done. Mm -hmm. And I, I imagine those sort of experiences and growing up with you know, so much responsibility around keeping a family farm functioning created like the grit that you do have now, like anything I set my mind to, I can accomplish. I can yeah. And that's really incredible. Um, yeah. And, and I loved reading these stories in your memoir, be, Always Hope, because they, they were fascinating. And, and it is an experience that I didn't, I don't know what it's like to grow up on a farm. I mean, I know what it's like to be around animals, but, but your experiences are, 
are really cool and interesting. And I love getting that perspective of, of how you grew up and, and knowing more about you in that realm. It was fascinating. Writing a memoir, did you find it challenging at all to, to share some of those personal insights about your life? Uh, you know, like how, how did you, you know, cause you've written articles and you've sort of written stories and you've covered other nonfiction topics that you're writing about yourself. Did you, did you have any, um, you know, challenges around that or was it just, just easy to do because? No, some of it was actually, um, you know, remembering that was um, one of my big concerns was, um, you know, my parents still um, live in where I grew up in, in Bledsoe County in Tennessee. And one of the things that I was concerned about, um, and we can, I kind of talk about this in the book, not the, the concern, but the issue is, is my dad was um, considered a Yankee. And uh, my mom's family is one of these um, families that, you know, one of the, the first, her ancestors were one of the first in the state of Tennessee and, and certainly one of the first in the Sequatchie Valley. And then she goes out and she marries this Yankee that is um, not from anywhere, certainly acts different than everyone else. Um, and it's just, um, you know, we handled things differently, situations differently. And it kind of, um, it set me apart um, from uh, friends and others. And so it was kind of, and I touch on that in the book a little bit. Uh, and I was concerned how conveying that would be taken by uh, people who still live uh, in the county, because um, it, you know, the things that we were doing, uh, you know, on the farm, some other kids may have been doing, but um, we also handled things differently. We explored, um, for example, how we row cropped a different way and, and brought some things in that might not have been considered there at the time, just because of the way dad was raised and dad's background. And, uh, and so when I'm in, in kindergarten, elementary school, and so on, some of the, the other kids, just because of uh, I talked a little bit more, a little less Southern, a little more Yankee, uh, you know, and how I acted and handled things was a little bit different. And I wondered how that would be conceived uh, mm. or perceived rather with, uh, you know, with some friends that, um, you know, growing up there when they read the book, would they take that the wrong way and see it a little bit differently than I actually meant it. It was just a fact of being different rather you know, yeah. And, 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 and what you were writing about is a, a very small community and you were, yes, town and so you had to be sensitive in how you wrote things to be careful not to offend right you know because yes a lot absolutely of are still there yeah that's very interesting something to consider for people writing memoirs you know you're writing about people and a place and your truths and you know you, you that's something that can come up you can offend you know so uh i can imagine that was sort of tricky <laughs> yeah and i had some options you know i could have made it more of a fiction piece or ch you know change names or you know that type of thing and um it took a lot of um kind of digging and soul searching to come up with you know just the right way to handle that but i've been very very fortunate you know i had a book signing there recently and um i had a lot of folks come out that were very supportive so hopefully i got it right um you know my piano teacher my kindergarten teacher my, you know a lot of people that i went to school with came out and bought copies of the book so um i think all is well it was but you know going through the process it was definitely something to keep in mind yeah and it probably took grit because did, did you have to get people's permission to write about them in this book or how did that work? 
Sure. Uh, so I actually just kind of, um, with friends, I kind of uh, avoided names, you know, to that extent and kept it more situational mm -hmm. uh, rather than naming names. And then a lot of the people that um, the rest of the people in the story are family members, you know, for example, or who have passed on and no longer, you know, have family members, uh, you know, they are to kind of read the story and, and be concerned about or anything. So um, I just kind of was really careful about how I, I handled it, you know, if the story was shared, that it, it wasn't, you know, something that um, pointed straight at someone. That makes yes, a whole lot of yes, sense. Yes, pointed a finger, so to okay. speak. Yes. That, that makes a whole lot of sense. So, so things to yeah. consider for people that are interested in writing a memoir, you know, it's like you either have to get permission or you have to kind of work your way around. Figure work around. Yeah, working your way around naming names um, because you have to be sensitive about that. Which leads me to, you already mentioned, um, you had a very successful book signing there in your hometown. What other ways uh, do you reach your readers? Like what, what resources or support would you recommend uh, to, to authors to to reach their readers or, or the people that you think would be the right demographic for your book? Sure. Well, one of the things that I have had a lot of fun with, um, and I do this on not all of my social media accounts, primarily Facebook and Instagram, but um, also um, I share on LinkedIn as well. But I have been, there were a number of pictures, for example, in my collection that I did not um, publish in my book. And so I have been taking those pictures on a weekly basis. In fact, I just finished the journey with that last week. Um, but on a weekly basis, sharing um, an unpublished picture and a story that goes along with it, that kind of leads to some more insight um, to a story that I shared in the book. And that's been, that's been pretty, it's only fun for me, but it has been pretty successful, you know, in terms of, uh, of marketing. I've had a lot of comments, you know, on that and, and uh, generated some following because of those, because people get to look at those and, and start to think, well, I would like to hear a little bit more about that story. And so that's kind of um, helped with marketing and public relations of the book too, but also been something that I really enjoy. That's, a, that's true. That's really fun. Like if you want to see some fun pictures of, of Hope with her dairy cows <laughs> and winning her 4-H ribbons and young, and they're, they're really fun flashback pictures. I, I've really enjoyed following that journey too. So, so that, that's great advice. So obviously book signings and then sharing uh, more like behind the scenes and unpublished pictures from the story. That, that's a really great way to, to reach new people and, and inspire those that are already following you and reading your books. So I love yes. that. And I enjoy too. I have a book signing coming up in December at the Tennessee Farm Bureau Convention. And it's more about finding out and really understanding who your demographic is and, and marketing to that because a lot of the people that come to the Farm Bureau Conference, those are my people. That, that's, you know, that's my tribe too because um, we all have an agricultural background and, and um, enjoy seeing that, you know, promoted and shared in a positive and, you know, and fun way. So um, that's, that's a big part of it too is just understanding who your, you know, who your people are that would enjoy reading your book. Absolutely. And, and that's, a, that's a great recommendation too because, you know, like your, everybody's books sort of appeal to a different sort of crowd, you know, it's like, so you Absolutely. have to find figure out where those people are and, and, and go be with those people. I feel like face-to-face -face at book signings is like a really special way to, to connect, yes. you know, it's like social media is, is great for maybe reaching a broader audience, but like really being with the people and um, in, in talking to them and creating relationship face-to-face, -face I think is so important. So it's great that you're out there doing these events and, and sharing your story. I love it. Uh, so th this is an, this is, this is a question I have for you. You are very, busy woman like you are 
you know, just connecting for this, you know, it's like, you're like, I have 45,000 things to do in order. (laughs) It's so funny. And I was like, it's okay. You know, just breathe. We can work through this. You know, it's like, you're worried about getting the the questions in the bio. Yeah. Um, but we worked together and we worked it out and it was great, but it, you know, you're a freelance writer, you're an author, you're a blogger, you're a horse owner, you're an, you, you raise cattle, you're a, you know, mother, you have a donkey, <laughs> you're a classroom teacher. How do you juggle, juggle all this? And, and, and how the heck do you find time to write? Because, you know, a lot of the, the story, the freelance stories that you're writing are very in depth and have that science base where you have to do the research. So do you have a routine? Like, how do you make sure that there's time for a you me time, but then also time to get your projects done in addition to all these other things you're doing? It's, it's a lot. Um, but, um, I wouldn't do it if it was, you know, if I didn't enjoy it. So that's, that's part of it is, is the fact that it does bring me joy to do, but I do have a routine. I, you know, I start the mornings very early. Um, normally when I don't have anything else going on at school, my day starts at about five and, and I get up and, um, kind of part of my me time is getting up and feeding, um, Sally and Harmony and exercising and, uh, and getting, you know, spending a little time sipping my coffee and getting ready for work. And then um, I'm at work all day until um, if I don't have something going on that I have to stay after school until the latter three. And um, when I get home, that's the um, school time and then also writing time. So I'm usually doing both of those, uh, particularly if I have an assignment, um, you know, that's coming due that I need to interview somebody or maybe sit down and do some research um, on getting ready for an interview, you know, that type of thing. Mm-hmm. So, um, and that's, that's afternoons. And, and um, sometimes if it's, if I know, like right now, um, it's gets dark early. So I might get in a little riding, you know, a short ride before then and then come in and do those things. So it's all about scheduling and, and juggling and, but also being aware of, and something I'm kind of working on myself right now of letting some things go and, you know, and understanding that I don't have to do everything. I just need to do the things that are important to me. So absolutely. That's fantastic. And I think, I think a lot of women in particularly in particular struggle with the, I have to say, yes, I have to do everything. I have yes. to be responsible for all these things. And, you know, it's so, it's so funny listening to you describe your schedule. Uh, you know, you're talking about like my me time is <laughs> feeding the horses and exercising, which, which sounds like responsibilities, but I, I totally get where you're coming from. Like when I'm out, with my horses and, and spending time with them and cleaning, I mean, even cleaning the stalls, it's meditative, it's peaceful. It is. Even though it is a have to do, it's like, a, a no, I want to do sort of thing. Yes. Right? And riding is, riding Sally is, is absolutely part of that. That is extremely, you know, therapeutic. And I laugh because I enjoy um, cleaning the dry lot more than I do cleaning my house, but, but that's okay. It's <laughs> totally, I totally agree. Like my, I would rather clean stalls all day long than run the vacuum yes. cleaner. <laughs> yes, absolutely. But, but it is. And that, that's me time. And I've never been, uh, you know, growing up on a farm, there was not time for, um, you know, inactivity. There was things that had to be done all the time. And so um, I don't really know what to do with myself with downtime. So my, my me time tends to be active, but it still ends up being me time and working out. Yeah, no, I hear you. It's like, I, I don't know how to sit still either. Like I'm, I like to constantly be going or, or doing something, which I don't know if that's healthy or not, but like, I, you know, it's like <laughs> I'm most satisfied when I'm accomplishing something or creating yes. something or getting something done. It sounds like you're very similar. Yes. Something about checking off the to-do yes. list. That oh, is. I yes. love <laughs> checking off or stretching the line through the to-do list. That like makes me like, yes, 
you know, I don't yeah, know why. It's a high. It's a high. <laughs> it is. It really is. It's very cool. But I do take the time to sip the coffee. So I'm with you on that one. Um, so, so, you know, you're very busy, you schedule your time. And it sounds like you're, you know, you're cramming it all in and, and loving it. Right. Cause you know, it's, yes. it doesn't feel, I think if you love what you're doing, it never feels like it's, work right you know if you don't like Absolutely. what you're doing then it's then it's can be pretty miserable but it sounds like you love what you're doing but I did want to ask a couple of questions so like what to you is the hardest part about being a writer um and then you know on the flip side what what is the best thing for you about being a writer whether it's writing a freelance article or or working on your books like I think the hardest part definitely is like we just talked about just um fitting that into the schedule or carving out that time, um, you know, where I'm writing or interviewing or, you know, talking or just developing a piece. Um, but then once you get all the pieces of the puzzle together and start writing, then it starts becoming amazing again. Um, so that, that's certainly, um, you know, the, the hardest part, but, um, the best part I think is just connecting with people. Um, like we talked about at a book signing and, that's just amazing. You know, I read your story, you know, um, I loved it. I bought this for you, you know, sign a copy, you know, or this sounds amazing. I can't wait to get it. You know, that type of thing that that's huge. Mm -hmm. Um, and then just, you know, it's just the little victories too. Um, I always enjoy getting a magazine in the mail when an article's out there. I don't know why, but it's just a little, you know, hooray. But, but, um, and it doesn't matter, you know, if it's the, 15th or the 30th or whatever time you know that you've done it it's just uh, it's just a little something of seeing a project that you've worked on you know come to fruition and and be out and then um hear later that it really resonates yeah that's with really the people funny. who get the magazine absolutely and it i mean the thing the thing about being a writer is it's a little scary too right you know you're, yeah. you're putting your creative self out there you're putting your you know all this effort into writing something just to, to give it as a gift to others to read and for hopefully it to resonate with them, you know, so to get that, that feedback that, that people are enjoying what you've written. I, I just, there, there's nothing like it. And you know, no, there isn't. Yeah. It, and congratulations because you are also getting great feedback and acknowledgement because always hope is an Equus film festival literary award nominee for this year. So We'll be excited and rooting for you uh, there in Kentucky. Well, thank you. Coming up. Yeah, so, so lots of recognition and congratulations on the success that you've had. Uh, so this is, a, this is a, I love this interview because it's a little bit different. You know, we're, ta we're, in, we're talking about freelance writing and, and this is something that any writer can get involved in and have a little additional income stream or, you know, another arm of revenue coming into their business. Would you talk a little bit about, you know, what advice would you give someone that's interested in maybe looking into doing some freelance work in order to create additional revenue? Like, what would you suggest? Um, well, first, I would just say, go for it. Uh, you know, absolutely. And then um, I would absolutely suggest maybe finding um, a friend and going as a guest to the American Horse Publications, you know, conference, or, you know, maybe joining and you know, going ahead and taking the leap and um, becoming a part of that organization because that that has been tremendous for me. Um, I think you know certainly I got into it um, before I joined AHP, uh, but that was on a very small scale. And I think I've gotten to where I am with my writing career um, because of AHP. And so if it's not something that's you know horse related, find um, a blogging you know organization. Um, find um, 
conferences that you can attend and go to where you can really network and meet people face to face and kind of talk about your ideas, make some friendships and, and see where it goes from there. Because I think uh, that alone has been uh, one of the single biggest indicators of, you know, where things are going to go and, and uh, you know, any success that you're going to have is just making those contacts because um, if you have the, you know, the credentials and the skills, um, it's certainly very doable, you know, if you make yourself available. Yeah, and I'm sure there's a lot of, uh, you know, like resources, because, you know, because it is, it is journalism, right? So you'd have yes. to educate yourself on the framework for, for which to write stories, which is something that the American Horse Publications Conference does. They have tons of seminars and resources on how to do that or how to, uh, how to pitch editors or publications. Um, but I imagine there's probably lots of information. Obviously, anything's available on the internet these days. You could probably take some, some webinars, some free webinars on how to pitch, how to write a publication, pick up a couple books in order to do that. So, you know, so if you're used to writing long form fiction or nonfiction books, you know, you want to, you want to actually uh, educate yourself on how to write um, for a magazine or a newspaper or what have you. And it is different, different. you know, yeah. writing for a book and writing a magazine article are two very, you know, very different things. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, and I found that I struggled with that with my book, for example, because I'm used to working within a certain word count, you know, mm -hmm. for a magazine article and you don't have that restraint, um, you know, when you're writing a book necessarily. So that is, uh, you know, that was a struggle um, for me was to get out of that mindset of, okay, I've got to fit it and this many words. Yeah. Right. You could be a little bit more free with your, you know, your vocabulary. You didn't have to have such yes. tight sentences. You could be a little bit more loose. I can totally see how that would be a struggle. Yeah. And, but any, any experience and exposure to writing, both writing for, I would imagine writing for a publication and writing your own book is like an, an, uh, an exploration and only makes you better at writing because you're, yes. you, you learn how to do both and you know, all writing is good, good for the creative soul. So, yes. um, yeah, so, so it's, so what I'm hearing you say is it's, it's fairly, uh, I wouldn't say easy, but it's, it's something that you can do for sure. You can write a book and you can freelance write and there's oh, absolutely out there that's available for people. Yes. Very cool. Uh, so I wanted to ask you this question. This kind of open-ended, but what are you curious about right now? Like, what's next for you, or what are you interested in? What are you interested in, in taking on now? Uh, well, at last year's AHP conference, um, I started talking to um, one of the speakers, and. Um, one of the things that's great too, and I know we keep going back to AHP, but it's such an amazing organization. Um, yeah, but it's the basis speak, for a relationship too, right? You know, so yes, we naturally it's, come it's, into this. Yeah. So I'm yeah, sorry, that um, she was um, outside of the horse industry, started in the horse industry, and, and also outside of it now, and um, writes for USA education pieces for USA mm. Today. And um, so we kind of spoke after the conference, and oddly enough, she's written um, not just for horse publications and education, but she's um, also written in other agricultural fields. And when I heard her talking about that, I thought, you know, that would be um, really interesting to do because um, there are some dairy publications out there and certainly I have a huge background in education. So um, I've been thinking um, about possibly expanding um, into those fields, um, especially during the summer when I have, tend to have a little bit more free time because I'm off from school and can kind of explore things a little bit more. Um, so pitching some ideas and thoughts that I have um, reaching and kind of expanding outside of the horse industry a little bit. 
Very cool. And, and, and that's also a possibility too, right? You know, you don't have to stay in the lane. If something inspires you, you can step over to exactly. the other side. Very nice. Well, I wish you tons of luck on that and I'm sure you'll be very successful. Uh, and so I wanted to ask you this too. Uh, I know we talked about some really interesting things about <laughs> you growing up on a, on a dairy farm, but is there something that um, a reader of your articles or your books would be surprised to learn about you? Um, well, I think, you know, kind of what we shared about is um, I'm very structured, but I can also be, um, if you kind of got the little undertone of that, a little bit of a, um, a risk taker too. Um, you know, I have some confidence about me from growing up and, you know, my background and experiences growing up. And so um, sometimes um, there's just those moments when you just, um, when you just do it, uh, regardless of what it is. I think that's, um, that's huge. I think we had kind of, um, little funny side story with that kind of shared um, about my trip home from the Maryland HP, you know, conference with uh, at the airline and um, my flight was canceled and I rode home across the country with a gentleman I had not met before. <laughs> and it, it was great that I wouldn't have, that's, don't do this at home. Uh, but it was, uh, it was kind of, I mean, it was just a neat experience that we ended up getting home and it was, it was fine. And, and of course I had a lot of things in place before that, but sometimes you just need to do things and just take, you know, take action. And I think that would surprise some people because, um, you know, I am normally a very structured person, you know, I'm, I'm pretty open and, and, uh, there's not huge surprises, but outside of the structure, there's a kind of adventure and risk taker there too. Yeah. A little bit of a wild side. I was like, you know, getting in a, I wouldn't do, don't ride with strangers. I'm sure you put like some protective things in place, like your husband knew and your people knew. Yeah. And so we exchanged driver's licenses with our spouses and, uh, my husband did a little sleuthing on Facebook, you know, to okay. make sure that. Um, there was no axe murder involved or anything like that. Okay, I'm um, glad to hear this. <laughs> <laughs> you know, but that, I mean, that's the thing. I think I believe that inherently, all people, most people, are good, right? You know, so it's like yes. I think we've we've grown to be naturally fearful of things, and obviously, you did the right thing, and you you people knew where you were, and you you made sure your husband sleuthed, and you we know, kept but in you, touch, and, yeah, you know, during you the did, trip. And... But you did something pretty, you know spontaneous and I think exactly. we need more of that in our lives so good on you so you're a bit of a wild child that grit comes <laughs> flying out when you least expect it you know you're 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 a whole lot of fun hope and I've so enjoyed our friendship and we get giggly together at conference we do and it's, it's a lot of fun I just um I enjoy it so much I wish we got together more because um mm -hmm. You know the conferences when we do see each other are like a, a big reunion of sorts and uh, it's just it's really nice it, yeah. it really is and for anybody thinking about joining too i just I did want to mention too it is such a friendly organization i mean you know anybody involved in horses knows that you know we're a small community but we're a, like a welcoming yes. opening community open community and ahp is is just like that everyone is friendly and and takes you under their wing and when you're a first-time member to the conference they put they give you like a little special badge that says yes vip yes so everybody knows it's your first time and so everybody comes up to you and they're like welcome it's such a cool organization and you know the excursions my first year i didn't do the excursion the mounted shooting and i didn't realize i didn't know right just how cool those were so always always do the excursion because you learn something about the region that you're in but you know like a different um aspect to horses that you know your discipline may never you know give you the opportunity to touch so like definitely check yes. out the excursions or they're, they're a whole and lot it's fun. impactful too i mean oh, yeah. i 
those experiences, you know, especially like the cowboy mountain shooting, I would never have thought that I could have done that. But when right. they said um, they were looking for riders, I was pick me. I can I can ride, and I never simultaneously. I've shot a gun, but never simultaneously shot a yeah. gun and ridden a horse. So, you know, it was great. Um, you know, it was just another thing. Okay, I can do this too. So. Yeah, I love that. You're you're great. That's so awesome. So. One last question. Is there anything I should have asked, but didn't? Oh, no, I just, um, it's amazing to live here. Just, uh, we talked a little bit about um, living on a century farm. Um, we recently got our recognition from the Tennessee Department of Agriculture and um, of being a century farm and, and just kind of living here in the, um, you know, the center of my husband's family's farm has just been um, amazing experience, particularly for me, because even though, you know, we kind of talked about in my book, how my family, um, part of my family didn't have the roots, you know, in the valley. And so this is kind of like a different experience for me, kind of a, a homecoming to live here on the farm. And we remodeled the, um, his grandparents' farmhouse. It was built in 1927. And so even that, just uh, just the opportunity and experience to live in the house. And I think it even lends to my creativity a bit because, you know, I certainly have some more fodder for, you know, stories and ideas and things like that. So, um, it's amazing to look out the window. We haven't always lived here. We've been here a couple of years and I finally have the horses aren't on one farm while we live in a, in a separate house and I have Sally and Harmony and the cattle and the dogs right outside the back door. And it's just, uh, it's amazing. And, and I'm loving it. That is so exciting. And then, uh, so how many acres are you on and how many head on cattle do you have? That's well, we actually have a couple of farms. This one has been in operation for, um, like I said, 195 years. That's and amazing. Then, I love yeah. that. The history. So, and it was really neat. My husband and daughter actually traced that back um, because that was something, all the, you know, the transfers, a hand me down from one family to another of the property. And um, there's you know, a story right that. there. You're next. Yes, I know. Right. So, book. I mean, this is <laughs> it was, awesome. It was huge. And so they did the research and got that going. And then we also have a farm that, um, belonged to my uh, husband's dad actually got it when he was in high school and wow. so yeah so that was you know kind of a little story in itself so we have the the two different places and we live on one and farm the other one but um grand total we have a little over 100 acres and then um we have here on our property we have a cow calf operation which means that we raise the calves up to a certain age before uh, they go to a feedlot um, and so that's kind of their next next step. But we have 19 uh, cows up here, and we have 24 calves. And then at their other farm, we have about 14 head, and, and uh, all black Angus. And uh, it's just you know, it's nice. Um, I kind of jokingly say the dairy farm was very difficult growing up, and it was full on all the time. And so dairy farm or beef farming is a little different. You know, it's not quite as uh, quite as intense. And I told my husband you know, his family actually dairy farmed too before they be farmed. And I said, if you had still had the, the dairy, I, I think that would probably have been a deal breaker. <laughs> but not, you know, not really, but it's just, just because of the level of uh, labor intensity that that's involved. But, you know, we kind of laugh about that. But because um, yeah. generationally, our um, little side story there, generationally, our our my dad met his dad and grandfather before we even 
you know, knew of each other's existence because when they came and were starting their dairy, they came down here to talk to them and get some ideas and, and that kind of thing. So wow. uh, it was just, just kind of neat how that the generations kind of knew each other and, and uh, things kind of work out to happen like they're supposed to. That's fantastic. I mean, the, 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 the whole story that you've been sharing with us as we've followed this journey, it just feels like I don't know what you want to call it, but like it just things kept opening up and you stepped through and you were following, you know, it's like, it's like your path was like, they're waiting for you to sh like shake its hand and step through. And, you know, like the, the writing came from your love of it, but then it just kept opening up doorways and then your, you know, family history and the kind of life you're living now and how, you know, your husband. And I just, it's, it's so beautiful. And I highly recommend Hope's, Hope's memoir, Always Hope, uh, to anybody that's fascinated by this conversation, it was a fascinating look at like what life what life was like and for back then and what farming life is like and what it was like growing up, which I think we've lost a lot of those, you know, hands in the earth, gritty kind of things and and you know, people that are growing up now, they, you know, they don't like to get dirty. They don't know what it's like to be around animals, you know. So it's just a, a really fascinating look. It's amazing. Yeah, when you just kind of take a step back. And, you know, and take a moment to, to take it in. And that's, um, but yeah, I, and I, you know, I hope to, you know, I, I teach high school students and, you know, I hope to that they um, will kind of get something from it as well, because it's, it's hard to get those experiences in the kind of society that, you know, we live in now, but I think it's important. Um, you can do other things, you know, as well, certainly to kind of develop those same skill sets. Um, but it's just, uh, it's important to record and document, I think, mm -hmm. and just to kind of know um, what it used to be, you know, like versus now. Absolutely. And, and you've done a, fan, a wonderful job of that in, in your book. And I love it. So we are coming to the end of our interview. So I wanted to ask people where or ask you, Hope, I'm sorry, where, where, where people who are interested in your books can find you, uh, your work uh, around your freelance writing career, and, you know, get to know you and follow you on your website and social media. Share, share with us a little bit about where folks can find you. Sure. So I have an author page um, on Amazon that I'm really excited about because I'm just starting to tweak and generate some things with that. Um, and so absolutely, you can follow me on Amazon. Um, I have, um, it's um, Hope Ellis Ashburn on Amazon. And then on Facebook, I have Red Horse on the Red Hill. And that is also Facebook and Instagram. And on Twitter, it's Hope Ashburn. And then redhorseonaredhill.com is my blog. And I try to share all my uh, magazine articles uh, there that I've written. So, um, you know, if you're a horse owner and you're interested in some educational pieces or just true stories or anything like that, you can go and take a look around there and uh, see what's going on. Wonderful. And I will make sure to link to all of those places so you can gallop over and check out Hope's work uh, in the show notes to the show. And Hope, thank you so much for being on the show today. I really value our friendship and I love the partnership that we've developed in like this great group of people who are taking care of each other and answering questions and being support systems. And, you know, just, I, I just honor your friendship. So thank you for, for your time today and for being on the show. I appreciate that. Thank you so much. I love being here. And anytime we get to connect, it doesn't matter what it is. I love it. And so, and I, I just, I, I treasure you and I treasure our friendships that we have developed with uh, you and our group of friends from HP. It's amazing.
It is. And I wish you a very happy weekend. And I hope that you get some me time and some great horsey time. And I cannot wait to share those pictures of Sally and Harmony. Yes, I will send that to you right away. And I would love some pictures of the farm too, if you have those to share. So I can include a couple of those in your show notes too, because you have such a fascinating story. And I think people would be really excited to see those pictures. All right. Very good. I'll see what I can find for you. Okay. Well, thank you, Hope. And you have a lovely rest of your weekend. Thank you. You too. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. I hope you enjoy these Q&A sessions with wonderful equine authors who love all things horses and writing, just like me. Visit my website, carlycadecreative.com, where you can read the show notes. And make sure you never miss a show by clicking the subscribe button now. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you so much for your support. Want a free guide to secrets of horse book authors? Gallop over to carlycadecreative.com forward slash wisdom to have author advice delivered instantly to your inbox. If you are an author who writes about horses and would like to be spotlighted, please let me know. Visit my contact page at carlycadecreative.com to fill out a request. I'd be happy to have you on the show too. Thank you for tuning in to the Equestrian Author Spotlight Podcast. See you next time. I'm your host, Carly Cade. Creative writing makes my spurs jingle.